When we see those situations, which happen very often of parents judging their kids, you know, they're not actually judging their kids, they're judging themselves. And, and it's really quite, quite heart-wrenching when you see this. Because, you know, one of the most easy ways to break out of that cycle is to use values as your most effective parenting tool. It's really going through a, a systematized way where you can make values central to the way you lead your children. This episode is one of the first in a series of special segments from some of our episodes about the topics of career, parenting, and spirituality. The purpose of this podcast from the beginning has always been to bring you the wisdom of mentors to be able to help you learn from their journeys and their mindset and their perspectives and their purpose to be able to create a better life for yourself. So this series is yet another tool for you in that exact same direction. So get ready, listen in, take some notes, and identify for yourself what do you want to change in your life in order to make your life even better for you. Let's begin. Here's Rachel Vecht from episode two. I see so many parents of kids with similar ages so worried about what other kids are doing. And I find myself at times also comparing. I'm like, oh, I don't know, like that, that kid's like two months younger and already speaking more. <laughs> oh, maybe maybe I got to work on this more with my daughter. And and then I'll also have kind of like that ego come through as well. Like, oh, my, my daughter's two months younger than that kid. And look at that. Look at how much it's better terrible. she's moving around. <laughs> Terrible. But so how, how would you suggest the parents avoid that? I think like I always start with, with, which is the same for anyone. Like I know it's like a coaching tool. I'm sure you do this with, with people that you work with, but it's like any parent that I'm working with, like, um, like for a more extended period, I always say like, what what is your purpose what are your core values like what is your why what are you all about and that is what needs to be kind of like your compass and direction like what and a lot of parents don't think about this what do you want for your child when they become adults not in terms of like i want them to be a doctor or i want them to be some talented musician but what are the qualities and characteristics that you think your child needs to succeed in life. And so for me, that's things like emotional intelligence and creative thinking and problem solving and strong self-esteem and growth mindset and all of those kind of things. So you think, right, I've got 18 years to, to try to role model this, talk to my kids about it, teach them to be independent, all of those things. And I realize that we're worrying about have they slept through the night and are they eating this? And then when they get to school, like how quickly can they count to a hundred? And re- like all these stupid things are worrying about and are they late for this birthday party and have they learned judo? And like none of that stuff really matters in the long run. Like some of the things when I look back that I worried about with my kids, it's just no one even remembers. It's a lot more about, it goes back to what I said at the beginning. It's like all about your relationship, your connection. That's the only way you can influence anybody um, over time. And it, it's kind of just really thinking about what you value, what, what are your priorities. And there's no, the beauty of that is there's no right or wrong. So one family might say, like, kindness is my number one thing. I believe that if you are kind to the world like it will come back another one might say work ethic I really want my kids to understand the value to have grit and determination and 
or it could be like healthy lifestyle. There's just no right or wrong with that, but it's like, what is important to you? And it might not be that your child agrees with you. And I'm not saying you need to force them to agree, but in terms of your life experience, what, what kind of qualities can you try to nurture in them to enable them to, to kind of be set up for success when they go on like to lead their own lives? Do you see any correlation between parents' own struggles and then what they want their kids to be able to do? So a parent will say, oh, well, I'm terrible at this. Or I know my weakness is this, and I've seen, that, I've seen the cost of that weakness. I can't necessarily change it in myself, but I can definitely encourage my kid to change it in them. Oh, there's loads of that going on. And there's loads of like, oh, I wish I'd done this, and now I'm going to get my child to do it. And the other thing, that when I work very deeply with parents, um, and parents don't always consciously think about this, but obviously how you were raised and how you were parented has a massive impact on how you are with your kids. So um, either you're trying to be the exact opposite or like you you, you think the parents did a good job and you're, you're trying to be the same. It's incredibly complicated. <laughs> there are all kind of assumptions and expectations and thoughts whirling around our heads that are so automatic we don't even have time to kind of capture them and, and recognize, you know, why is it, for example, that one parent can get really triggered by something their child does or doesn't do, but another parent, the same, a parent of that same child doesn't even notice, but then something else could really trigger them. And that is all to do with, with kind of your own experiences that are just happening on autopilot in terms of how you react in those moments. I've, I've seen I've seen parents uh, get really scared of like be really fearful that they're going to end up like their parents. They do the complete opposite. And I've also seen parents be really fearful that their kids are acting the way that they acted to their parents when they were growing up. Mm, yeah. And so, like, oh my God, don't go down that path. Can't go down that path. How often does that turn into a self fulfilling prophecy? Very often. <laughs> it's kind of cool. I mean, it, we have like, we have in our brains like mirror neurons. So we literally mirror the emotions of those closest to us. So it's just always to be conscious of like, not to put too much pressure on parents, but to really be conscious of what you're modeling. That's more important than what you say, but it's how you how you interact, how you behave, how you are with other people as well. Like kids are watching all of it and you can't like tell your child to be one way but not practice it yourself um but there is this danger that we're trying to I don't know push our kids down one particular route and that's why I just think it's so much more important to focus on qualities and characteristics than you know some of the other things like yes give them opportunities help your child find their passions and interests but like, don't push them down one particular route. I mean, two of my kids, or possibly you could say three, are incredibly artistic. And one of them is very musical. And I don't have a musical or artistic bone in my body. It does not come from me. And that's just like, I'm really, in, like, it's amazing. But that's just something that they've kind of found themselves. And it's to do with my husband as well. He's much more that way inclined. But it's not even something I... I understand I'm just like in awe of what they can do but that's you know the route they they chose to go down here's Sarit Vandegraaff 
episode five. Uh, a little bit more challenging to move forward and to do what you really wanted to do in career while you're a mom of two girls who are at home. And, and I know that, that both you and your husband take responsibility at home. Uh, but I also know that you're, you're such a proud mama bear. So how did you balance those two? Initially, for me, it was very much around, I just wanted to be around for them. So uh, obviously, I took the maternity leave for, for both, in both occasions after, after the birth, and that was 12 months. So I was really, really happy to do that. And the transition to work uh, was very much gradual for me. So I actually started two days a week and very grateful to BT Financial Group for being so supportive because they really were. I was able to work from home a lot of the time, gradually increasing my days. Um, and I was able to also, I don't know if it's step back or step sideways, but I, I actually stopped leading at that time. And, and I did another role which required less, uh, it was just less pressure and less stress for me. Uh, and I was able to do that at home or come into the office every now and again. And that meant that the Girls didn't need to go to daycare too early, which was really important for me and my husband. And, you know, it, it meant that I could still spend that quality time with them for a good probably two or three years. And so it was very much after my second, I actually did that for quite a while, uh, working from home and, and just communicating to the office one or tw- once or twice a week. And it was after the second, my second daughter that, you know, probably about 15 months after that, that when I started to look at, okay, what I want to do with my career. So yeah, absolutely a balancing act. And I'm very fortunate to have a husband who's very much, as to your point, is very involved, the upbringing of the girls and was able to take some time also to be at home with them and to dedicate his time to them, which allowed me to then pursue what I was doing. Um, So I think that that partnering and that uh, balance in in parenting is really important, and I think for the most part that's how things are these days. I think the the traditional construct of you know the fifties and sixties is is no longer, and so um, yeah, I think more and more there's more equal uh, sharing of those roles. Yeah, and I'm I'm seeing that change too as well, which is beautiful to see. Thankfully, finally. Uh, now, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are listening to this, especially those who are young mums, and they're hearing what you're saying, and or maybe young dads as well, and uh, young parents, and they're hearing what you're saying, and they're like, I really, I want to focus on my career. I don't want to take too much of a back step. Maybe I should. I don't know if I should even talk about that to my manager, because what's that going to mean for my reputation? I don't know if I can change jobs, even though I really hate where I am, and I I don't know what I can do because my responsibilities to my kids and given your experience, both as a parent, but then also as a coach supporting a lot of people who have probably had similar challenges, uh, what words of wisdom or advice or thoughts would you like to share? As you know, being a coach, I'd probably ask them a few questions first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, questions like what's important for you in life and, you know, if you were, you know, 50 looking back at your life, what what would your ideal scenario be or what would you regret not doing or what would be the consequence of making the wrong decision or the right decision? So I think those sort of questions of looking outside in and future back 
are really useful in these sort of situations because it does help us think about things from different perspective and maybe make the decision that is the right one for us. Um, at the end of the day, what worked for me might not work for somebody else. And, you know, uh, let's put it this way. There's, there are also people who are single parents as well, so they don't have the benefit of having a partner or a parent that can help out with the children. Um, you know, for me and Stuart, whilst we were sharing the roles, we didn't have parents in Sydney, so there was no other family to help us out with the kids. And so uh, that was quite taxing. So everyone's situation is very different. Uh, what I would say is you don't get the time back uh, with, with your children. So, and that time does fly by and seeing them grow up is such a joyful experience. It's so important to be able to dedicate some time to that. When you fo follow your passion in terms of work, things happen some wonderful things happen. And, and I think being honest and, and authentic in, in what you need, I think, especially in, I hope I'm not sort of speaking out of turn, but I think especially women have a hard time at asking for what they need at, at work. I think there's certainly more chutzpah for, for men who, who ask for a salary raise or better working conditions. I think women are still a little bit afraid of asking for those things. But actually, when you have a really good conversation and um, you're able to share your aspirations and your goals and you're able to connect with your leader in, in a thoughtful way, then that conversation can happen and it can happen in a way that's beneficial for everybody, not just for yourself. And I guess the, the idea is how, how do you make it uh, a case that would benefit the organisation and yourself when you ask for for that help. Um, and if you can think about it from that perspective, it might actually work. You never know if you don't ask. Here's Sarah Page, episode eight. Yeah, we live in a society with social media and, hey, look how amazing my kid is. And yeah, that's exactly it. And look how I'm having the most perfect mothering experience. Look at my beautiful baby bump. I just look like a massive tank. When I was pregnant, <laughs> I was not graceful at all. It was terrible. Um, I had an awful pregnancy. I um, was, you know, I had lots of friends that had beautiful pregnancies and, you know, loved being a mother. And, you know, from the moment that they had this beautiful, perfect child, they were besotted with them. And it was just this wonderful experience. And I just did not have that at all. <laughs> I didn't have a good experience at all. And I... Um, yeah, and I very, I mean, I've always been prone to melancholy. Like, you know, some people just are. Some people are just prone to being a bit blue, you know, and I've always been one of them. I've always, you know, from the day I was born, I was prone to being a little bit sad, you know. <laughs> and so I think for me it was quite inevitable that I would get postnatal depression, but I just, my goodness, there's just not, People don't talk about it at all. And I think, um, and now when a friend of mine's pregnant or they have a baby, I'm like, within a couple of days, how are you? Are you okay? You know, the baby blues are very normal, but how are you feeling? How are you coping? Because it's, no one did that for me. And I, and I wish that I had had someone that I could say, hey, look, I'm not having a good time here. And, you know, I wish there were some services that could have, helped with that but I'm again grateful for the experience because it's 
you know, spawned a lot of goodness. So, is that is that one of your guiding principles that um, challenges can always spur more goodness if you allow it to? Oh no, but I like it. <laughs> I'm just going to write that down. <laughs> uh, no. But one thing, you know how, I don't know if you're the type of person that has a saying or something, like a little mantra that you say in your head, but I've got a little mantra and I, I heard it when I was up, I don't know, I was probably doom scrolling on Instagram, but I saw it or I heard it or something at three in the morning, I was bawling my eyes out, I was just crushed, my baby wouldn't stop crying, I couldn't breastfeed, it was just a horrendous time, just so not enjoying it. And I read something that said, it's all going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And I always, it's just stuck in my head. And, you know, when things get tough or I, I'm, you know, I had another bout of depression last year um, and then I'm only just starting to come out of now. But I can keep saying that to myself. And I think um, that was, has become kind of like a, a principle in that, you know, for, for the work that I do with the Kindness Collective, it's all based on non-judgment, empathy, and that every Kiwi deserves kindness. Mm. So those are my, um, I guess, values for the work. But for me, it's just, it's all going to be okay in the end. So whatever is going on today, it's all going to be okay. Here's Niti Nadaraja from episode 14. You mentioned that you're daughter like you were never taught when you were young so you didn't mention your daughter but you were never taught when you were young that uh like how to handle your emotions mm-hmm. uh, i've got my strategies with my two and a half year old i'm curious what how you've really been focusing on making sure that your your daughters or your kids yeah. are able to do that yeah look i think um so my daughter's eight now and so we have a lot of um in-depth conversations about a lot of stuff, including emotions and feelings. And recently, I think for her last birthday, she got a couple of books that were all about emotions and feelings. And so, you know, we've been working through them and going through them and going, okay. And I don't necessarily agree with everything that's in these books either, right? Because some of them, sometimes I'm like, yeah, that sort of feels like suppressing emotions. I'm not sure that's right. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk through the stuff that's in these books and go, okay, well, how do we, how do we process emotions, you know, and how do we, um, for example, process anger? And that's, that's something I think with kids in particular, you really need to help them to understand and to manage because it, you know, for them, anger can often mean stomping and like, you know, screaming and so on and so forth. So it's like, well, okay, it's fine. You're feeling what you're feeling. I understand that you're feeling angry. I understand that you're feeling upset. I understand that you're feeling scared. How do we work through this? Talk me through what you're feeling. Talk me through what's happening for you right now, right? And so I think it's just building up those skill sets to go, let's have a conversation, you know, you're upset, let's talk about it. And equally, it's me having that conversation when I'm feeling upset and going, I'm having a bad day and I am sorry I've snapped at you, okay? And and this is why it's it's not to do with you. Mummy is going through X, Y, Z and I'm very sorry and I shouldn't have done that, but, you know, this is what's been happening for me. So it's it's having these conversations to say it's okay to feel what you're feeling, right? 
and we need to be able to talk about that. So, you know, if you're sad, let's talk about it. So mm. for me, I think it's all about conversation and it's the same with anything, right? Like, so we do a lot of work, for example, on confidence building um, because I think in the earlier years, I wasn't sure particularly in prep, how she was doing at school and whether she had friends, whether she was happy at school, you know, or she'd get really upset when she didn't do well at like a sports thing, you know, for example. So I was like, okay, well, how do we build up confidence? And so it's the same thing, you know, you you just, you talk about it. And actually she's amazed me sometimes. I'm like, I thought that would be something you didn't feel you were confident at. And not that I said that to her, I wouldn't say that to her, but in my head that's what I was thinking and she'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 that's fine. Um, that's fine. I can do that. And so it's actually, you know, it's those conversations are important because it also teaches me where she's at. Here's Yemi Penn from episode 18. So how are you raising your children to overcome all the existing traumas or potential traumas that they have or will experience? <laughs> so... <laughs> I need to speak the truth because in about 10 years, I, I can imagine one of my kids like coming to this saying, this podcast saying, mum, you are not speaking the truth. My, <laughs> my kids, my daughter in particular, teenager calls me savage. So as much as I am loving <laughs> and all of that, I'm probably harder on my kids than I am on the average person. Um, and there is still a lot of love there, but there is an element of, and I'm not suggesting this is right. I heard a, another interview yesterday, Kemi Neckperville, he'll, who really explained it beautifully of, what did she call it? Healthy neglect, which no one would like the sound of neglect. And even though I'm, I'm personally comfortable in that content is, I don't want them to rely on me fully. So there is a part of me that does give this tough care and love, but with reason. So I don't know whether you grew up in the era whereby if you got told off or there was any level of punishment, sometimes there was no explanation for why it happened. And and that really didn't close the loop for me. So with my son, you can't watch TV um, before school. And I'm pretty confident this dude is sitting down like it's the most traumatizing thing in his life. And for him, it probably is. Like he's literally saying, mum, I am bored. This is all of 33 minutes before, but I'm explaining it. And I'm not explaining it as a finger in the air. I'm changing how I do it. So I, I want to make that very clear, that especially with my kids, I'm probably actually doing actually doing it in a different way because because I had license even though you know there are some parents in courses that say well you don't you're just a caretaker which I acknowledge but there's I'm, I'm a bit more I'm a bit more intentional because I can so when things happen I tell them it is absolutely okay to be sad and to be hurt but one thing I want you to do is to learn not to let that bleed into other people. You can tell me, mum, I'm really hurt. I'm upset because what would happen in every household I've been in is I'm upset about something. But then when a loved one comes into this hurt bubble, they are going to get annihilated because I, for some reason, can't separate it. I haven't done the work. But now I use the words of I'm not in a great mood at the moment. It's got nothing to do with you. I just need to go lie down. If you want food, it's over there. It's there. It's there. And so that's really what I'm teaching them is to have the emotion. But can we find a way to deal with our trauma without bleeding on others? I use more appealing words than bleeding, but for, I wanted to do it for for points. So it's, yeah, very, I guess I just wanted to be open and honest because I am I am different with my kids. And, and sometimes there is the tough of, okay, I appreciate that that bothered you, but I, I don't think it's that big a deal. I'm fully aware that they may grow up and say, you know, that time 
when I came back to you crying that someone had taken my ball and you kind of just brushed over it. I have to be prepared for that because I don't fully understand, but I want them to know it's okay for them to be hurt and upset um, and maybe have a conversation afterwards. Just don't bleed over everybody else. I, I'm, I'm thinking back to something from uh, one of Dr. Laura Markman, uh, Markham's books, mm. uh, which is how she, she, she talks a lot about parenting. Yeah. And she talks about the first step is that you need to be able to self-regulate. Yeah. You need to be able to control, or I, that's not the word she used. I think manage your own emotions. That's yeah. what she says. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, before you're able to really empathize and then coach your children through theirs. Yeah. Um, and so once you once you do that, I mean, are you are you essentially trying to raise them to see you as the example for them, or are you trying to raise them to be able to just help them go through whatever they've got to go through? Both, but definitely not to see me the see me as the example, but to see me as an example. There are yes. many, there are many views. I can't, it's part of the reason why I struggle, you know, having no family now. Back then it is what I needed to be on my own, is because they only see me and it it's it I, I know that's not good. I, I know it's mm. not good because we we see our family or especially our parents as our whole life. And I think it's part of the disintegration of society is that we've gone. And, you know, I did grow up in that community feel in Nigeria, little parts in London and Australia seems to be the most isolated I can be. So I'm trying to now rebuild my communities. Um, but to definitely see me as an example, my son has just come back from being in the States for almost two years. So he's been without me for almost two years. Was it absolutely gut wrenching, heart wrenching? Did I miss him dearly? Absolutely. But it was the only thing I could do to create some sort of balance because that's where his dad lives. And if I'm talking about challenging paradigms and I'm all for gender equity and equality, when he asked if he could have him, I had to sit with the discomfort and work on it. But also because I don't want him to just be me. I, I, I don't. I, I, re I actually really, really don't. Not because I don't think I'm great. I'm bloody great. But I love the diversity of life. I just have to learn how to self-regulate when someone acts in a way that I don't want it to be. So I want to, I guess... I thank you for that invitation because I definitely don't want to be the example. I want to be an example, but then for them to create their own as well. You know, I did a permaculture course a couple of weekends ago with my partner and I didn't think I'd be interested, which is just this understanding the, the principles and design of plants and animals. And it was so interesting to just see biodiversity of nature, something that we have referred to as a thing, as opposed to potentially a being. And that, that is the, that's what I want to cultivate in my kids, which is you're going to have a way, but does it work for you? Does it work for your fellow humans and environments and animals? And if it doesn't, then I'd say do the work. But I'm just an example. Keep your eyes open for other examples. Here's Julie King, so 35. Okay, you're a podcaster mm -hmm. and you're responsible for sending out the email so that your interviewee has the right link. And then when we get on, you have to press the right buttons and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And today you have screwed up. You sent the wrong link, then we finally figured it out. And then the recording button didn't work. And for some reason you started talking and you realized you lost all this recording. And if I say to you, so I'm, I'm your partner, you know, you, you, you say, you, you come to me and I find out Harry, why didn't you send her the the right link? You know that's important, right? Hmm. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to use some of the language that you use with your daughter 
sure. know, when you get frustrated, you know, you know, you have to send the right link. You know, you have to press that record button or it's just not going to work. Hmm. What's your inner reaction? My gut reaction is you just don't get it. I made a mistake. It's just a mistake that I've made. It's just a mistake. And how do you feel about yourself and how do you feel about the problem? Um, I feel like the, the problem is being exacerbated as if I am the problem. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so how do you feel about me when I say this to you? I, I feel like you're well-intentioned, but that you're, you're, you're missing up, like you're, you're stuffing up or you're, you're confusing the fact that there was a mistake with my intentions. So you think, so it feels like I'm well-intentioned when I say, how could you do this? You know, you have to press that, but you know, it screws everything up uh, when you don't do that. My, myself, myself personally, I, I can imagine my daughter probably has a different experience, but myself personally, I assume that you're, you're worried or you're, you're frustrated because it wasn't recorded and that you're letting your frustration out on me. That's how, okay. that's how you're I very forgiving. It. Actually, I suspect if we did this in a group and I mm. asked other people, like, what, how would you respond if, you know, your partner or your boss said, said that to you, like, how could you do this? Mm. They would feel resentful, irritated, maybe angry at me. Mm. And, and that's where their focus would go rather than on, how did that happen? What should I do next time? How did I forget that? I need to figure this out, right? And mm -hmm. I think it's a distraction when we criticize and attack. And that, uh, maybe I was too gentle with you. <laughs> you know, when we you're do just, that kind you're of just too gentle, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what happens when we criticize and attack. And I think you're right that sometimes parents feel like I was just trying to help her learn so that she could do better the next time. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't feel that way to a child. And that's, that's why we, we look for other ways to, uh, to, to speak to a child when there is a problem so that they actually will focus on what did happen and what do I want to do differently next time, right? Mm -hmm. Or what kind of repair do I want to do? do? Do I need to make amends in some way? Uh, from your experience of what you've seen, have you found that, that that approach of kind of like berating the child, it's like, why do you make that mistake? Why do you do that? Like, oh, you should know better than that. And you've made a big mess for mommy and daddy to clean up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm obviously exaggerating the way that we talk to my daughter, but I, I imagine this isn't too much of a stretch for most. Uh, and it's like, why would you keep making these mistakes? You're supposed to do better than that. All that kind of stuff, right? Like imagine that that- You know yeah. your pee belongs in the toilet. I don't like to see pee in the, on the carpet. <laughs> and, and so, no. right. And so, yeah, sure. And so from your experience, uh, has that, uh, is that just not fruitful? Isn't it just doesn't get great results? Does it, okay, well, does it exacerbate the problem? Does it keep it going for longer? Or what happens when people are using that approach? Typically, hmm. typically it's not helpful. Occasionally a child will do what we want them to do but that irritation will leak out in other ways. Right. I think if your daughter is feeling threatened by her new sibling and she feels like you guys aren't paying attention to me, I don't really like this. Nobody asked me if I wanted to have a sibling. <laughs> like it's, not, it's very noisy now. I don't like this. You're always saying that you're busy. You have to feed the baby. You have to change the baby. Like, I'm not so happy about this. And I don't think she's consciously saying, I'm going to pee on the carpet and see how they like that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's not that intentional in that sense, but I think that 
if you come at her when she has those accidents and you come down hard on her, even if she does figure out a way to get to the toilet faster, that baby is not as safe because she's going to look for other ways to either get back at you or get back at the baby, mm. you know, and she might accidentally on purpose, like bump into that baby when she's walking, when she's running around or, you know, sort of roughly grab something out of the baby's hand or scream in the baby's ear. Like you'll see kids do that. And I don't want to suggest that anytime your kid does that for the baby, it's like, cause you have been a terrible parent and you should really pull it together. You know, it, it's, it's rough on kids to have a new sibling, no matter how you handle it. And some kids have more obvious reactions from the get-go, as my oldest did. And some kids are really kind of cool with it until their kid, the baby starts walking around and getting into their things. You know, it's, there's, mm -hmm. there's a range. Here's Natalie Costa from episode 38. Okay, so as we, as we start diving into your expertise then, uh, yeah. I mean, one, one of the questions I suspect a lot of people have with you is, okay, great. So you're, so the parents are like, I can't, I can't handle my kid anymore. They're just too emotional. It's too much. I'm frustrated. They're frustrated. They're crying all the time or they're angry all the time, or they're not concentrating or not doing their homework. They don't have the behavior that I want them to have or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. one of the first questions they might have for you is, well, how do you, how do you get their kids to listen to you? Like what's, what's different about you and your approach compared to mm. how the parents are trying to approach it? So what I'm trying to teach parents and is, first of all, help them understand what's actually going on in their child's brain and why their child is not listening or misbehave, misbehaving, as, you know, in quotes. Um, because we have to understand that our children, their brains are still growing and evolving. So things like frustration tolerance, things like manage, you know, controlling my emotions, um, the ability to transition from one, you know, for transition, flexibility, adaptability, to see things rationally. You know, often parents will say, I don't even get why they're getting so upset because they're drinking from the blue cup instead of the green cup. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, but all of those things, you know, that's down to those executive functioning skills, which our children don't yet have. And so we have to shift our perspective because it's so often a thing of, well, they're pressing my buttons. They're doing this on purpose. He knows exactly what is say, but actually it's no, your child is actually really struggling right now in their experience and the feeling that they're having, whether it is the fear, the anger, the, you know, the, the disappointment, and they're feeling alone in that feeling. And so instead of them doing this to us, they're actually having a tough time in that feeling. And us as adults with our fully functioned developed brain, we need to be that substitute prefrontal cortex for them. And so it's about, first of all, you know, meeting them where they're at initially. So it's, it's first of all about helping parents shift that perspective of actually, okay, this is really what's going on in my child's brain. It's the same thing as if I say to you, you know, Harry, and assuming you don't have a pilot's license, I don't know, can you fly planes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's the plane. same thing as if, okay, well, you never know, right? I've got to check. But it's the same thing as if I say to you, you know, right, here's a plane, fly to France, and good luck, you've got half an engine. You're just not going to be able to do it, right? Because you haven't especially, developed the Especially skill not from and, Singapore. Especially not from Singapore. Yeah, good luck with that one. Good luck with that one, right? <laughs> but it's, but you know, you, you don't have everything there yet. 
And we have to understand that this is the same when children are struggling with these, you know, these big feelings. And the other thing as well to remember is, is that, you know, when we're triggered by their feelings, it also triggers something within us because what did we want as that little boy and that little girl when we were their age and we were shouted at or shut down or whatever it is? It goes back, you know, and, and what did we feel? And even when you're caught up in that power struggle with your child, what are you feeling under your anger? You're feeling misunderstood. You're feeling alone. And that's what they're feeling too. Except the difference is we've got a prefrontal cortex and they, you know, they, they are, theirs is still in development. So, you know, that's one of the first things is really about edu the education piece, but coming from self-compassion as well, because it is so, so hard. It is so incredibly hard. And like I said, it's the hardest thing you're, ever going to have to do like I I, it, I really I mean there's some amazing jobs but I think you know parenting is the hardest job because you're responsible for this little this little being and it, it's it's scary um and so that self-compassion piece as well because it's it's the guilt you know I often work with parents that's a lot of guilt that parents face but it's my fault my child behaves this way or I'm not a good parent or what do the in-laws think of me because my parent you know my child's running wild um and actually that self-compassion piece of no but hold on I'm a good parent and I'm learning as well and this is new for me um you know it's and that I think is just as important because we're not always very compassionate with ourselves um you know and this is something I'm, I'm learning too is Kati Kapailad, episode 39. How you define parenting and what parenting really is, and especially like, sorry, the, maybe I'll explain the segue for listeners because uh, I can see you're nodding. You got that right away. Uh, but for listeners, we're, uh, that Katie was just talking about uh, giving people responsibility, handing over responsibility to them, giving them a challenge and seeing how they'll rise up to the occasion. And if you keep doing that with slightly more challenging tasks and slightly more, never something which is too hard and you, you don't set them up for failure, but you set them up for success with a bit of challenge, then they're going to grow. They're going to do better. They're going to achieve more than what they thought they would have. And then they're going to be ready for something even more after that. And, for, and then you tend to learn a lot more from others as well when they start challenging you in terms of, okay, give me something harder. So I don't know what to give you harder. I'll, I'll find something. And... For myself, that's what I've seen as my role as a as a father or as a parent, or more specifically. And so I'm I'm curious from your perspective, what's parenting, and do you see it as aligned with the point I just made, or is there some more nuance to it? I think it's exactly the same thing. I think that as a leader, whether you're um, a parent, because as a parent you're somewhat of a leader as well, you are. Um, responsible for and what you want to do is influence align and help your team grow whether your team are two-year-olds and three-year-old or whether your team are you know project managers or engineers the point is that you want to influence align help them grow collectively in a particular direction and help them be the best version of themselves and for them to show up to their work in the best way they possibly can. That's exactly what you want to do with your children too, because you want them to understand themselves, challenge, as you say, you give them a little bit of responsibility and you find that they actually do a fantastic job. You give them a little bit more, they do a great job again. And with that, you're helping them learn to grow to be leaders themselves. So that's 
a complete, it's exactly the same thing. And that's why I was nodding and smiling because I was actually going to make that point um, when you made it um, ahead of me that um, whether it's in an organization or whether it's in your family, you're actually doing the same thing. And you've got to be authentic, of course. You've got to be compassionate. You've got to be strategic about the way you do things, but you're doing the same thing. You're creating a new world together and whether it's an organization or your family, it's the same thing. Same skill sets. Here's Priya Nathaki from episode 40. I've always had this suspicion that most people really struggle with parenting because of the extent of judgment which they have on their kids rather than the, the love that they really want to have for their kids. And your framework, the, the Peter, uh, is... Really effective. Can you can you sum it up in like five minutes, four or five minutes? Are you able <laughs> yeah. to do that? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I think um, I think the most important thing here is uh, when we see those situations, which happen very often, of of parents judging their kids. You know, they're not actually judging their kids; they're judging themselves. And so, one of the ways, and and it's really quite quite heart-wrenching when you see this um, because, you know, one of the most easy ways to break out of that cycle is to use values as your most effective parenting tool. And we've already discussed what is the definition of values, but it's, it's really um, going through a, a systematized way where you can make values central to the way you lead your children. And so there's something called the dot framework, which helps you connect the dots. And it's not connecting the dots for them. It's connecting the dots for you in your mind so that you don't, you know, have these funny little questions and sentences that come out of fear running the ship, right? And so the the dot framework has uh, three steps and there's a silent P in front of it. Um, so it's really P dot, but we don't really talk about the silent P. But the silent P is all about parenting yourself. And so this whole thing I've described, even though we were talking about marriage, it's the same when we when we judge our kids. But you want to know what's funny? When we judge in marriage, we we know that person's an adult. We hold them uh, responsible and accountable, like to take action or change something. But when we look at a kid, it, we're not judging them because like the same way we judge an adult. We we judge a kid because we're afraid that if they don't take some certain steps or learn certain things, they're going to fail in life. They're going to uh, experience suffering. They're going to have pain. Like they're maybe going to have marriage that isn't beautiful and open and full of polarity and they're not going to have any friends. And, you know, it's just like doomsday, right? They're not going to be prepared for the future. They're not going to have all the opportunities. So it's kind of even more intense because it's not just like trying to hold another adult accountable. It's, there's intense fear that under your watch, this person's going to become a total failure, right? And more than them being a failure under your watch, it's like, and they're going to go through incredible suffering in life, right? And as a parent, you will do anything to reduce that. And so, you know, P is really about parenting yourself, checking these stories, these narratives, just like in the marriage story. Like, is that the right question to ask? Like, are you really focusing on the right emotion within yourself, right? Are you holding the right value to lead this person to victory? Or are you trying to lead them from a constricted place of fear? 
of all of your paranoias of how dangerous and harmful the world is and how much pain it's caused you. And you want to try to prevent that pain as much as possible. Right? Then you move into D, which is deepening your understanding of the values. This is the step where you have taken care of yourself. You stepped into the field of wherever your child is or children are, and you're simply looking for what is their action? What is their energizing emotion? If they even have one, maybe they don't have a value running in that moment. Maybe they just have an action with an emotion, but it's not an energizing emotion. So it's simply being aware is a value even running in this moment. Can I deepen my understanding of if a value is running in this moment? Deepening your understanding of value, the D step, is really being able to look at it and say, what are the two parts of value? What's running here in front of me? Without concluding anything, you're just making a hypothesis at this point. Then with your hypotheses in place, like you're seeing some actions, there's some possible emotions that you may be able to name, but you can't be sure. You can't be sure. How sure, how successful have you been looking at someone else and knowing exactly, like naming to the exact level what emotion somebody else is having, right? You can say, well, I think they might be sad or something, but what if it's melancholy? Melancholy is very different than sad. You can't really know that. You can only know, oh, it's kind of a category of sad, but if they turn around and say, it's not sad, I'm melancholy, right? If they turn around and said that to you, that's a whole nother set of information, right? So you kind of can make some guesses, but when you go to O, what you're doing is you're opening a dialogue, not having a conversation. A conversation is one way. You have some hypothesis, you spew out what your hypothesis is to them, and you try to redirect them and help them move along, okay? That's not the same. With a dialogue, okay? And that's what O is all about. It's about opening a dialogue. It's about you saying, well, you know, I can see there's all these actions going on. I can see that some kind of emotions is going on and I'm just curious. Like what I'm able to see is that these are the emotions you seem to be feeling right now. Is that true? And then at that moment, the child will be like, no, that's not true. Why are you saying that? Like, I just want to keep doing this action because it's fun to bonk my sister over the head over and over again. She makes this funny noise when you bonk her over the head. And I like to hear that noise. Therefore, I'm going to bonk her over the head. Right. Um, and you realize in that moment, it's not because it's some sophisticated like emotion. It's a moment of just like a little pleasure. OK, this is an emotion of like a little pleasure signal. Right. Like, OK, what if I just made that noise without you bonking on her head? Would that be OK? Right. And this is when you move into the T step, which is tailoring an experience based on this dialogue. Now you have enough information about helping them craft their value, helping them develop an emotional home. Right. You're leading from a place of your potential, you know, and now you're tailoring that experience and you're just walking around going boop, 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 you know, whatever the sound was that the sister made every time she got bonked on the head. And, and now you find yourselves, all three of you rolling on the floor, laughing your head off. And forever after that, even when they turn 14, forever after that, when you say boop, everyone rolls off laughing. Because what T did was tailor an experience that becomes a memory that anchors that value for life. 
Um, and so that's really what the, the dot framework is about and, and what it means to live a values mindset and how to build success, this internal and external experience in a very simple and, you know, repeatable way. This, this system was created. It, it might just sound like a step-by-step process, but it's actually a framework. There are over 17 different relationships that have been uh, gone deep into to uncover the nature of those relationships. And this process comes out of years, almost three years of reflection on those the nature of those relationships and how to bring those elements into your parenting. And it's literally from the absolute best Western uh, peak performance discipline uh, 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 people and the best Eastern um, integrated knowledge systems for character development, fusing almost three decades of knowledge and immersion, fusing that together into this new style called values mindset parenting and executing that through the dot framework so you can connect the dots so that you know when you're done with this life, what you've left as a succession is this beautiful pattern. You know, in India, and I'll close with this, we have this beautiful thing called a kolam. A kolam is a design it, drawn in South India. Every morning, the women come outside freshly bathed and they hold in their hand a small little, uh, a little stainless steel box. And in that box, there is rice flour. And they pick up the rice flour and they, they with their fingers, they draw these little dots. And then they draw this little line that connects this one line, weaves and goes around and interweaves. And when they're done, and it only takes them like 15, 20 minutes to do this, when they're done and they stand up, there is this magnificent design on the floor. Sometimes it's just a pattern that's a design. Sometimes it represents something, a flower, a temple tower, you know, Lord Ganesha, the elephant face guy. Like these women, they create these um, these columns. And the point of creating this column is it's made of rice flour. One, it's this beautiful, inviting mat that welcomes people into your home. The rice flour feeds thousands of insects. It's an act, it's a, it's an act of starting your day with service, you know, feeding somebody with service and it is a moment of meditative calm where this one line connects all these dots. And that one line is whatever drives your, your life. For me, that line, uh, is, is, is God, is my gurus and is my values. And so as this line is drawn, I realize that line that connects everything is values. And so, you know, the dot experience is really this, this beautiful tradition of creating a column. It's a column experience for your children to make these magnificent patterns that mean something. And when you're done, you look up and down the street, you know, every day this happens at 6, 6.30 in the morning, you look up and down the street and not one column is the same, but they're all magnificent. And you can walk up and down the street and see the beauty of this. And that is what we're trying to do through our parenting. We're trying to create these patterns that other people can enjoy by interacting, a welcoming pattern, a pattern that serves, you know, a pattern that makes you live in alignment to your highest purpose and allows you to reach your highest potential. So I hope you received a whole lot of value from engaging in that conversation. What were the key takeaways for you? 
What can you schedule in your life right now to make sure that the time you just invested into listening to this exceptional conversation with this amazing mentor and this amazing individual is time that wasn't misused, but was time that you've allocated properly to enhancing your life and improving it? Whatever it is, schedule it now, practice it now, be the successful person you're meant to be, live with purpose.